Welcome, it's indisputable. I'm your host Rashad Richie, good to be with you. We have a lot on the agenda today, breaking down news of the day. My dear brother from another mother, David Schuster, always amazing, Rebel HQ superstar. Fascinating analysis to come. Top story of the day, social media is going wild because President Joe Biden is an elder man and had an elder moment. Here it is. Between China and the United States. As a matter of fact, I think it's less likely to cause that kind of conflict. I don't, anyway, I just think that there are other things on leaders' minds and they respond to what's needed at the time. And look, nobody likes having celebrated international meetings if you don't know what you want at the meeting, if you don't have a game plan. He may have a game plan, he just hasn't shared it with me. But I tell you what, I don't know about you, but I'm going to go to bed. Damn right, man comes to the meeting, doesn't know what he wants. I'm jet lagged, I had to fly from America all the way over here. It's time for me to go to bed, we'll do this tomorrow. There's more, here it is. Yeah, we we talked about, we talked about at the conference overall, we talked about stability, we talked about making sure that the third world, the assuming third world, the, the, the southern hemisphere, had access to change it, had access. It wasn't confrontational at all. You can't thank, thank you, everybody. This ends thank, the count press thank, conference. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. I've raised it with every person I've met with. Thank you. President Biden walking off the stage there in Hanoi, Vietnam after a major international swing. He met. That's called an executive staff member. Now, why did the staff member stop the press conference? Why was the music on cue? Well, that's because of the advanced team. The advanced team goes before the president and says, if the president says something racist like third world nation. This is what needs to happen immediately. That staff member should have been the executive staff member for this politician. Senator, you're up for election in three short years. What are your thoughts on? I'm sorry, I had a hard time hearing you. That's okay. What are your thoughts on running for re-election in 2026? What are my thoughts about what? Running for re-election in 2026. Did you hear the question, Senator? Running for re-election in 2026? 
All right, I'm sorry, you all. We're going to need a minute. Senator. Penny. Okay. Yeah. Biden is 80. Trump 77. McConnell, we don't know. It's maybe a vampire. The bottom line is everyone can agree. All of them are probably way too up in age to do that job successfully with mental cognitive decline. I've said from day one. This is not about age for me. This is about the cognition, the ability to analyze, critically think about very complex problems. Having the energy and the stamina to wake up at two, three, four, five o'clock in the morning to take care of something really important, go back to sleep and still wake up in the morning with all of your cognition. It is not easy. It's not an easy job for a young individual, not an easy job for a healthy person, much less an individual who may be experiencing some level of cognitive decline. Now, let's say this about President Biden to put it in proper context. He rambles, yes, but he's, he's always rambled. He stutters, well, he has a speech impediment. He doesn't talk about it much, but he does. Talked about it on record one time before. But the question that looms with him should also loom with Trump. They are not that far apart in age. And Donald Trump, who has a steady diet of Coca-Cola and Big Macs, I'm sure that does not help his neurotic situation in his mind. But he's charismatic. He says things that are so extreme that there's a base inside of the Republican Party who simply loves it. All right, let me do it this way. Let me give you the background. I'll also give you updates as to Biden's polling numbers not looking very good among Democratic voters. Amid rising concerns, among voters about his age, President Joe Biden wrapped up his post G20 summit presser on Sunday night by telling reporters he was going to bed. That was actually understandable. Following an overseas trip that took him to India and Vietnam, the president took questions from reporters revolving around politics and other topics such as climate change. His meeting with the Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi and Chinese President Xi Jinping's decision to skip the G20 amid increasing tensions with the US. With the local time after 9.30 PM and Biden having spent several long days in Asia, the president attempted to end the press conference with a pronouncement to the press corps. Quote, I don't know about you, but I'm going to, I'm going to go to bed, he told reporters, to his credit, Biden quickly came back on stage and engaged with the press for another minute. But the Sleepy Joe narrative had already taken hold on Fox News. He was rambling near incoherent at some points and then ended the press conference saying he wanted to go to sleep. That is what one of the anchors said McDowell moments after the news conference concluded. That was not a proper contextualization, but it's Fox News. A majority of likely Democratic voters, this is the real news, a majority of likely Democratic voters said the party should nominate someone other than Joe Biden for president next year. That's according to a poll released on Thursday. Two thirds of Democratic and Democratic leaning registered voters surveyed by CNN 
an SSRS from 25 to 31, up 25 to 31st of August, said they would prefer someone other than Biden. Among those voters, 18% specified another candidate. But the overwhelming majority, 82%, said, quote, <coughs> they just wanted, they just want to see someone besides the current president. Among declared Democratic candidates, however, Biden is seen as the best positioned, however, to beat the clear Republican favorite, Donald Trump, CNN said. Other contenders include Robert F. Kennedy Jr., an anti-vaccine conspiracy theorist and self-help author, Marianne Williamson, whom we had on the show before. She also ran in 2020. Most observers say the US economy is strong. And note legislative successes for Biden, including the passage of the ambitious infrastructure and domestic spending packages. Last year's midterms, messaging about Republican extremism, particularly on the abortion and voting rights issues, helped Democrats avoid the kind of heavy losses usually suffered by a president's party. Polling now shows voters are split on partisan lines when it comes to the merits of otherwise a likely Impeachment effort driven by far right House Republicans over business deals involving the president's son, Hunter Biden. But Biden's own poll numbers remain low. In the new poll from CNN and SSRS, the president's approval rating was just 39%. Nearly 6% of respondents said they thought Biden's policies had made economic conditions worse. While 76% said they were seriously considering that at 80, the president was too old to serve a full term if reelected. That echoed other recent polls, including a survey conducted during roughly the same period and released on Tuesday by the Wall Street Journal. In that poll, 73% of voters said Biden was, quote, too old to run for president. You know the hypocrisy in the statement he's too old for run, to run for president. Y'all gave him the job in the first place. He's president. Because we elected him knowing his age and knowing the term of the presidency and also the term of reelection. So he's there now. He's there. All of them are up in age, every single one of them. I do recommend a passing of the torch so that those who are up and coming, who have not been purchased by the same corporate interest as those who are established can make a difference for real everyday hardworking people. David, thoughts here? Well, I agree with you. I think there should be a passing of the torch. I wish Joe Biden would say he's not running for re-election. But, uh, and the fact of the matter is, as my late father used to say, uh, getting old is not for the faint of heart. And <laughs> Joe Biden's mental acuity is cognition, whether it's getting worse or about the same, it's, it's hard to know. But the one thing we do know is that Fox News is not the fair arbiter of any of this. And I'm so glad you mentioned them with the Sleepy Joe narrative, because if you looked at their White House correspondent who was in Vietnam before the news conference, Peter Ducey said, yeah, the president's probably tired. He has spent several hours working at this on East Coast time. It's like it's an all-nighter. He probably has jet lag. And then after the news conference, once Joe Biden says talks about going to bed, and the right wing goes crazy over all this, of course, Fox News never mentions Peter Ducey's earlier reporting about being jet lagged and how long this is and this being an overnighter, because that would interfere with their narrative. So, you know what? Um, Look, I still believe that Joe Biden, even if he is sleepy Joe, even if he is sort of out of it, would probably still be 
Donald Trump, if Donald Trump's the general election nominee for the Republicans, that most Americans would rather have essentially a president who's not there than have a president like Donald Trump. But having said that, I do wish, and I think it would be a lot easier for Democrats to make that distinction with Republicans if, in fact, it was somebody else other than Joe Biden. Yeah, you make a great point, and I echo another point. With all of these alleged negatives about President Biden, uh, many people still rather prefer him over the extreme wrecking ball of a Donald Trump. And so they can wax poetic about Biden's mental decline if you compare him to the indictment laden Trump. It is an interesting tale that Biden is still very competitive and likely wins that race, all things even. We shall see if Trump even makes it. Football coach threatening to physically assault one of his players over and over again, haunting him even. Here's a video. Shut the door, bro. Real talk. You want to be a gangster? Let's do some gangster. Let's go. Get him. Let's go. I want to blow your so bad you. You a bitch. You a bitch. You a bitch. I never told no one that. Go call your mom and tell her that. Come on. Get up. Get the up. I'll rock your ass to sleep. You got me up. You didn't say that? I wasn't near. You didn't say that? Man, get the out of here. Get the out of my life. Go. You got me up. Oh, this is old five too. I don't know how. You want to be a gangster until it's time to do gangster. Uh, I like this. I'm cut like that. I'm, I'm cut like, like that. Like that yeah, I'm trying to. Oh, I don't know where it might have been. You want to pull words in my mouth? Then go out there and confront them. All right, coach, you about that life? That's how you cut? That's how you roll? You about that action? Here's the next video. Today, I want to take the time to take accountability for my actions that occurred earlier um, with a player and uh, Mr. Elvin Day. Um, my actions today were very, very unneeded, disrespectful, and wasn't a good look as far as player, coach, personnel goes. Um, I hold my players in high accountability for the way they act, and I need to be held in the same standards. And at the moment, I feel that I let my team down, my coaches down, and our program down for the actions that I displayed earlier this afternoon. Um, moving forward, I am going to be suspending myself till further notice, holding myself accountable for the way I acted to my team and my coaches. And I'm going to do what I can to seek mentorship on myself to be able to become a better coach and mentor to my players so that I can make sure that this never happens again. Hello, my name is Alvin Day. I play for the Southwest Florida Prep and Tech Seahawks. The incident that unfolded today was um, it was on call for, and um, 
I'm glad that my coach is taking accountability for his actions. That's a, something that's very, very important. Accountability is very, very important around here. So I'm glad that he's holding himself to the same standard that he held us to. I do forgive the actions of Coach Jenks as he's been a good mentor to me. And I'm hoping we can move forward. Go Seahawks. Wow, so much here, all right? He suspended himself, okay? He brought the victim of his verbal assault and threats to sit so close to him, it looked as if he may be kidnapped. Put up the first picture screen shot. The video shows a 45 year old adult male named Coach Derek Jinks. Getting into the player's face, repeatedly yelling at him, do something, do something. The Florida Preparatory School football coach has now suspended himself and is stepping away as the head coach after the video shared on social media showed him verbally attacking one of his players. The coach, the head coach and founder of Southwest Florida Prep and Technical Institute in Naples, Florida, announced his suspension in that video as you saw. And also the school shared it on their Facebook page. The coach was sitting next to Mr. Alvin Day, the player he verbally attacked in the video. You see it there. This is so backwards. He suspends himself. What? Let's keep that picture up. You're able, sir, to do that to a youth and then suspend yourself? And the institution, the school backed the play because they promoted it on their social media. And a comment on the Facebook post, Day, who identifies himself as Alvin Day's, identifies herself as Alvin Day's mother, said the family is considering all options, quote, to ensure that Coach Jinx is held accountable for this disgraceful act, end quote. It is unclear what the self suspension means in terms of drawing pay or taking a leave of absence. USA Today has reached out to the Institute for Comment Incorporated in January 2022 as a Florida non for profit corporation. Southwest Florida Prep and Tech Institute is a tuition based school that offers credit recovery and SAT prep classes as well as technical school options for post high school football players, many of whom are trying to secure opportunities to play in college, it's basically high school. The football team is a member of the National Postgrad Athletic Association, which also includes IMG Academy and Braddington. According to his website, the total cost to attend is $8,600, which includes housing since some players come from out of the area. Day, the player Jinx berated in the video, is listed as being from Boston. In July, Coach Jinx said these out of area students are housed at the Fairfield Inn and Suites by Marriott and Bonita Spring. Now here's the thing, you know why it was recorded? Because somebody else in that room was sick and tired of this coach berating people in this way. So they secretly recorded the coach in likely one of his normative moments where he goes around speaking to individuals in such a horrible, threatening and violent way. 
Now let us not start saying things like, well, he's just being a coach. All coaches do that. They threaten. They threaten to literally physically harm you. They dare you to call your mother. No, that's not a coach, that's a coward. These are youth, these are children. These are impressionable individuals who are already in a situation where they require that system to work for them to be their advocate, to be their supporter, to enhance their adult behavior. Not to give them examples of what it's like to be adult in body only and not in mentality. Now who is supposed to be the professional here? The coach. Now, if he's upset, you can have an assertive conversation. I've have, I have assertive conversations with my students at times. But to physically threaten a student, that's called illegal. It is against the law. And it's against the law for a reason. All right. It doesn't sound like the mother is happy about the explanation given her comment on record that we read. David, thoughts here. Well, I'm very eager to see what the Institute does. If the Institute says, yes, we support the suspension, we would have suspended him ourselves. Good for the institution if they take that step. They should not have had the coach, they'll make the first move. But let's be clear, football is a violent sport, but it's about controlled violence. And if you cannot control your violence within the parameters of the rules, you get yourself in trouble, you get your team in trouble, you might actually hurt somebody unnecessarily. If a coach is expecting controlled violence from his players, he has to have a certain amount of control. And yes, I agree that there are coaches who will get in their players' faces. We see it every Saturday and Sunday and Friday night in high school. Players will get chewed out by their coach. But there's a difference between chewing out a player and threatening him in the way that this coach did with this young man down in Florida. And I think if we can't see the distinction, then we're not being real about where football and coaching and mentorship is in the first place. That's right, so well said. And two things I wanna highlight. Number one, the power of example. The power of example, young people, well, they don't always listen, but they're always learning. No matter what's happening, they are always learning based on your example primarily. Number two, what would have happened if this young man would have actually stood up? What would have happened if this young man was offended enough to simply stand up and say, coach, you're gonna have to stop threatening my personal safety. What would have happened in that moment? An army sergeant says he was choked by the same cop, same cop, who shot an 11 year old, put it up full mass. Hell of a story here. Two federal lawsuits have now been filed against Greg Capers on the left, the Indian, the Indianola Mississippi police officer. We've covered in the past, he is accused of violating the rights of two Mississippi citizens. One an active duty army staff sergeant and other 11 year old Adrian Murray. Whom Capers shot after the preteen called 911 to save his mother. Remember that story? Put up the sergeant. His name is Kelvin Franklin. He claims that Officer Capers also violated him, stunned him with a taser, choked him, and pointed a gun at him while he was handcuffed on December 30th, 2022, right after Christmas. Franklin has since been deployed to Kuwait. In May of 2023, he is now concerned the trauma he experienced from the incident will interfere with his work and jeopardize his 16 year military career. Keep him up for a minute. I want you to think about the irony of this story. Number one, you have an officer who has already expressed significant neglect 
for proper judgment in human life by shooting an 11 year old. And in the interview, the 11 year old, I remember him saying that he just didn't understand. And neither do I. And then this military soldier, 16 year career. He's not concerned about war creating trauma. He's concerned about the police officer he experienced domestically creating trauma for him in war. There's more. Franklin says that day he was traveling with his then fiance's cousin from Camp Shelby to a residence. Once they arrived, there was some misunderstanding when Franklin got out of his car to get a parking decal that led to his fiance to call 911, the complaint alleges. Franklin saw the driveway was blocked, according to the attorney. So he approached the cousin about moving it. But the fiance thought they were arguing. Franklin says that he tried to resolve the situation with the cousin, but that too was misinterpreted by his fiance, whom he has since split. According to Franklin's attorney, by the time Capers and other officers arrived, Franklin attempted to explain that he was there to collect, collect his belongings before returning to Camp Shelby. He also disclosed he had a firearm, which an unnamed officer confiscated. This is when Capers decided to draw his firearm, then his taser, and struck Franklin multiple times before choking him, the lawsuit complaint alleges. A three minute video shows that Franklin's arm, where, uh, where uh, arms were at his side, even when he was tased. The complaint also says that Franklin requested medical attention due to pain and having a single kidney, but was taken to Sunflower County Jail without any treatment at all. Months after Franklin's incident and around the same time he was sent to the Middle East, same officer shot the 11 year old. Jerry Murray, for the incident involving the minor, Officer Capers was then finally suspended from the police department. Now both parties are represented by Carlos Moore in their pursuit of justice against one officer accused of abusing his powers on multiple, in multiple instances. Quote, Mr. Franklin's case preceded Mr. Murray's case. And so the city had noticed that Greg Capers was an ever present threat and danger to the citizens, said Moore. They knew he had a propensity to utilize excessive force. They did not punish him for what he did to Kelvin Franklin. And an 11 year old was shot by Greg Capers, that same cop, several months subsequent to that. The young Murray's mother has filed a $5 million federal lawsuit on herself's behalf, behalf. We covered that alleging that Capers, who was called for assistance in a domestic situation, instead subjected a child to violence when he shot him. Franklin filed his complaint on August 28th, seeking $500,000 in compensatory and punitive damages, return to fees, interest, and jury trial. The lawsuit also names the city and the police chief, Sampson, and five unnamed officers. It asserts that Officer Caper's actions stem from the city and police chief's policies, that their failure to supervise and train officers 
on how to respond in high crisis situations. When you decide to keep a negligent employee on staff, that's called negligent retention. If they engage in problematic behavior that gets you sued in the future. If you hire someone and it is a clear case of, hey, this person is a threat to people, they hire them anyway. You can be under a negligent hire faction of the suit. But it comes down to caring about your local community. And this is why I encourage all jurisdictions, make sure you have an active citizens review board. A citizens review board with subpoena power, with real authority. You can make that happen in your local community. If you don't have one, get one. And if you do have one, engage with them. Because that becomes, that citizens review board, that becomes your civilian line of defense. These are people who are on the outside with powers on the inside. You need that as your advocate. Because the suffering of the 11 year old is likely never going to happen with proper discipline when the attack took place against the soldier, allegedly. All right, David, thoughts here. Look, these things never happen in a vacuum. And as you have right. pointed out repeatedly, and, and literally every incidence of a police officer using excessive violence, there are patterns of behavior that we see over and over. It may have been the first time that he actually used excessive force, although he probably has threatened excessive force first, you know, obviously with this with this military sergeant. And then and again, he shoots the, the 11 year old. But I guarantee that if we went back and talked to many of his colleagues years ago, they would have probably said the same thing. This is a guy who is a loose cannon waiting to erupt. And if you have loose cannons in your department, the chances that they are gonna erupt, those go up and tends to erupt and erupt again until somebody puts a stop to it. So I wish there was some mechanism, whether it's citizen review boards, whether it's you know police had more authority to weed out the cops who show these dangerous patterns because sooner or later it catches up with them and it catches up with their community. That's right, and ultimately all of it catches up with the taxpayer because the taxpayer will foot the bill and de facto defund the police department. One more. Some more. Do some more. How much more? Is that it? One more? I must confess. I was rooting for the Karen in this one. I know, I know, I know. I've had my battles with the boot police here in Atlanta, Georgia. When I found out what the law actually says, because the boot police, they don't have any real authority in Atlanta. And the only crime you can commit is if you destroy their property while trying to get a boot off their car, that's it. It's a destruction of property charge, possibly. It costs roughly $50 to $75 typically to get the boot off of your car. My homeboy from Glenwood Road would do it for $25. No damage whatsoever. Oh, I'm being 100% serious. That's the rule in Atlanta. No damage to the boot, no issue. He even takes a courtesy video of him taking it off so no one can claim you damaged the boot. 
That's called industrious. All right, David, I don't Dr. like Richie, all these, man. I'm right? just. I- I'm just thinking, where were you, Dr. Ritchie, and your friends when I was living in Washington, D.C., <laughs> and was so mad at the parking police and the boot police? And I think I sort of tried that thing with driving off, and that didn't work. Uh, and then I probably tried hammering the boot myself, and that didn't work. And then eventually I was like, all right, I'll just go down to the DMV and pay the fine and get my car back. Um, but I, I sympathize with everybody's frustration, even the Karens out there. Yeah. The boot seems so unfair, but folks, Take it from me, from somebody with a little bit of experience, just just pay the fine or adjudicate the fine or or plead not guilty and take it to court. But you know, taking it out on the boot police or whatever, it's you know, doesn't doesn't really serve you much good. Yeah, let's let's put up the screenshot. Because literally, the Karen is damaging her car more than she's damaging the boot. Which is why. She was the perfect person to do a standoff with the boot police. Because Karen will tear this whole damn thing down before admitting she's wrong. Lackluster police response, according to the locals, racist propaganda, Martha's Vineyard. Let's put it up for a mass. Authorities are on high alert after signs bearing the website of the white supremacist group Patriot Front were discovered outside of two black owned businesses in Oak Bluffs on Martha's Vineyard. One sign said, America first in big bright red letters over the blue lettering of Patriot Front's website address. The other sign said, strong families, strong nations in the same colors and include a blue sketch of a child, a woman and a man. This sign also featured the group's website. Um, Cape and Islands DA Robert Gelleboy says he informed all 22 district police chiefs while collaborating with the Massachusetts State Police detectives to address the matter. Quote, if you observe any of these signs on public property or private property without the owner's permission, then please notify your local police department the DA's office posted, all right? So let me tell you why. That is the message because typically the police department will say, well, that's protected speech. It's nothing we can do about it. We don't have to like it, but it's protected. And technically that's true, but you know it's not protected when they decide to come on my property. That's not protected, that's called trespass. When they decide to staple it to my property, that's not protected, that's called destruction of property or damage of property. When they decide to do that even to government property, They don't have a right to do so. You know who owns that government property? Well, the taxpayer, they purchased that too. So these are dynamics that you can collect evidence for and prosecute individuals or at least get enough evidence to say, let me see what else you all are up to, all right? So the DA, in my opinion, is going about it the right way. Hopefully they are actively collecting evidence. Um, Let's put them up full mass. Texas native, Thomas Russo was previously part of the white nationalist group, Vanguard America, before creating, forming Patriot Front, a white nationalist neo-Nazi organization. The Oak Bluffs Police Department is also currently looking for whoever posted the signs official say. Oak Bluffs Police Chief Jonathan Serrell 
said the three signs were spotted on Sunday, September 3rd in the historically black community and have been removed. The signs were found at the intersection of Dukes County Avenue and Salome Avenue near the black owned businesses, Biscuits and 11th Circuit Avenue restaurant and bar. On Tuesday, the police chief said a fourth sign was discovered at Circuit Avenue extension. And the department is engaged in active and thorough investigation. Author Hardy Doubleday said he was walking to brunch when he saw the signs promoting the group and called Oak Bluffs police. However, he said he was disappointed with the agency's lackluster response to his call. The officer who answered the phone was already aware of the hate group sign. In fact, the officer stated that he normally removes signs from the telephone poles, but because the sign was placed too high, there was nothing he could do. Hardy Doubleday wrote on Facebook, I asked him to repeat that. And he stated the highway department would likely take it down on Tuesday. I couldn't let this go. Hardy Doubleday said he asked a man who walked by for a ladder. When he returned with the ladder, the man took down the sign. Hardy Doubleday sent a letter with a formal complaint to the police department on September 6th. I hope the department changes its policy very soon. This was unacceptable. Hardy Doubleday wrote on social media. Oak Bluffs located on Martha's Vineyard's northern tip has been a historic gathering for a place for black families during summers. The island's black presence began with enslaved individual servants and whalers in the mid 1800s when whaling was prominent in the Northeast. After the decline of the well oil trade, Martha's Vineyard became a vacation destination spot. When Massachusetts abolished slavery in 1783, it provided a safe haven for free black people on the 18th and 19th in the 18th and 19th centuries. After the Fugitive Slave Act was enacted, Islanders like Reverend William Jackson made it their mission to stop hunters of free blacks who would take them down south to be enslaved. He and others contributed immensely to the island's roots and to the Underground Railroad. Deep history here. After World War II, as the black population grew and became more affluent, families purchased cottages and vacation homes on the island. Many of these properties remain in their descendants' hands today. The Patriot Front, founded after the 2017 Unite the Right violent rally in Charlottesville, Virginia, is classified as a white supremacist group by the Southern Poverty Law Center. It advocates for establishing a white nation in the United States. The Texas-based organization led by 100-man flash demonstration in Boston, led a 100-man flash demonstration in Boston in July 2022. They marched along the Freedom Trail and selected famous Boston landmarks dressed uniformly in khaki pants, dark shirts, hats, sunglasses, and face coverings, and shouted their mantra, Reclaim America. A black special education teacher who's also a musician says members of the white nationalist group assaulted him during that same demonstration. Let me tell you why the history of all of this is very important. It goes to motive. They know that the community they targeted is a proud black community with longevity of residents inside of that location right there. So they decided to intentionally target them in order to get in their heads to intimidate them. And then the police having a lackluster response, knowing the relationship of that local community 
the history of that local community and these flyers being antithetical to the sentiment of their quality of life. Now, naturally, we would not be okay with anyone coming into a particular community and really uprooting old sentiment of racism without a response from our local authorities. We know at least they don't have permission to put these flyers and posters on anything, on any property inside of these city limits. That is an enforceable dynamic that should have been taken care of immediately for that community. David, thoughts here? I wonder if the police response would have been so lackluster had it been a sign or poster put high up on those poles that said F the police. Uh, I have a feeling they would have scrambled to remove that. Um, Aside from these folks being racist or putting up these signs and posters, I think it's clear by now they're also cowardly. Because if they were not cowards, they would stand behind their signs, they would physically hold their signs without their khakis and their sunglasses and their hats and their masks covering them. Identify yourself, if this is who you really are, if this is what you really believe, stand behind it and at least have some self-respect. But the fact that these people continue to hide themselves between the sun, behind the sunglasses and the shades and the, the masks shows that these people are small, evil, lazy people with no self-respect. Yeah, the following in the um, footsteps of their mentors from the Ku Klux Clown. Yes. According to many, Something happened where Emma Roberts, the actress, said to the Black Secret Service agent of Bill Clinton something very rude and some say borderline racist. All right, so let's go to the video. I'll give you the background. I mean, she ran out of there like Bill Clinton said something to her. Put up the picture full mass. There's no telling what Bill said. Actress Emma Roberts is facing fierce backlash after rushing out of a bookstore in the Hamptons and allegedly snapping at the Black Secret Service agent who was with the former president Bill Clinton last weekend. While trying to avoid an onslaught of paparazzi, after getting caught in the same location as Clinton, viral video footage captured Robert saying something, according to fans on social media, that was obnoxious, rude, and borderline racist. In a clip, which was originally captured by photographer Elder Ordonez, the American Horror Story actress can be heard mumbling, get out of the way, end quote. Many believe the former star of Nickelodeon's Unfabulous had a commanding yet dismissive tone. Roberts comes rushing out of the door, clutching to beverages while dressed in a black tank top and leopard print biker shorts. Near the door stands a reportedly plainclothes Secret Service agent, wore a pair of gray jeans, khaki polo shirt, and a khaki baseball cap. Which the fans, considering his dress, made the statement as a command more damning. I mean, to her, it was just any black person. She wasn't gonna tuck her casual racism in because they're a member of an elite federal police force. A comment read, among those who pointed out how impolite the Scream Queen star was, others gave her the benefit of the doubt in the comment section. One commenter said, I think she meant 
she was getting out of the way because she knew they were taking pics of Clinton and didn't want to be in the shot. Hence the reason she laughed and said, this is ridiculous. Another comment read, this clip, this clip proves to be an example of the different conclusions people jump to. When given the least amount of information, here's my take. The SS agent wasn't blocking anyone. And she clearly had more than enough room to exit. I'm with the just gonna get out of the way consensus. Uh, Roberts has not spoken out to clarify what she said. All right, so yeah, um, I just think she's a normal superstar celebrity and saw somebody in the way and said, get out the way. Perhaps that's all to it. Once again, we do not know what or if Bill Clinton said something. All right, David, thoughts here. I don't think there was any reason for her to go off on a huff. I think that uh, uh, that contributes to the perception that she was in the wrong here. I wish people would just sort of smile and say, hey, Bill Clinton just ruined my bookstore experience or whatever. <laughs> Look, I've been blocked by motorcades of presidents that I don't like and I've gotten mad. But have I taken it out on the cops? No, I just sort of smile and laugh and say, okay, that's just how it is. And if she had smiled and said, all right, this is the sort of day that I wanted and I don't want anything to do with Bill Clinton, uh, excuse me, sir. This would have been fine. Nobody would have made made a big deal out of this. Yeah. And the irony is, she didn't want to be in any paparazzi photos associated with Bill Clinton, and that's where she is now. She is associated with Bill Clinton because she was mad, and she felt that she could be mad and entitled and take it out on whoever was locking the door or guarding the door. And she felt she couldn't be polite to him. She deserves the ridicule that she's getting. Yeah, it was snappy. It was mean, and it was very Hollywoodish. Period. Interesting dynamic. Patriot Front violated the KKK Act. You don't say, put it at full mass. Well, it is now official. Patriot Front has been accused of violating the Ku Klux Klan Act. The North Dakota Human Rights Coalition and the Immigrant Development Center are behind the civil rights suit that alleges the group Patriot Front vandalized several storefronts and businesses with their logo and other graffiti to racially intimidate the market's shopkeepers. The nonprofits are seeking attorney fees, a jury trial, and damages of an amount to be determined at trial. This is how you do it. The suit says that the group, two of its leaders and 10 others spray painted Patriot Front logos and designs last year at an indoor market area called the International Market Plaza that contains restaurants, shops, grocery stores, and an after school program that is owned and operated by people of color and immigrants from Africa, Middle Eastern and Latin American nations. The group also allegedly defaced murals, included one that depicted black women wearing hijab and posted an anti-immigrant posted anti-immigrant propaganda this past July, just days after a man of Syrian descent Shot and killed a Fargo police officer and injured two others. Uh, let's put it up. This is who they would like to be affiliated with. We're glad to provide the side by side comparison. Patriot Front is accused of violating the Ku Klux Klan Act of 1871, which was established during America's Reconstruction era to protect the civil and political rights of many of the country's formerly enslaved people who were threatened and targeted during that period. The complaint alleges that the act was quote designed 
to prevent precisely the kind of conspiratorial racist activity that defendants perpetrated in this case. That vandalism left shopkeepers and customers in fear for their safety, according to the suit, and caused the market's business owners to reduce their hours as a result. The Associated Press reports that no attorney is listed on the case docket for Patriot Front, and another attorney who has represented the group in the past said he knew nothing of these fresh lawsuits, okay? Um, obviously, he's billing by the hour. So, what do we have? We have citizens who are doing what the police could do, what local governments could do, they are doing. Yes, local governments can actually sue for things like this. They decided not to. Typically, they would engage or they will engage via the police, but the criminal element has to be there. Well, what's the criminal element here, Doc? They deface property. They destroyed property that is still criminal, right? But big ups to these two nonprofits for understanding that they can take matters through the courts themselves too. Obviously, this would be much more effective if everybody was on the same page with this. But I'm happy to see the leadership. I'm glad to see people taking action against the racist organization. David, thoughts? Yeah, I wish the police and local law enforcement had taken the first step. But this yeah. is a reminder that if all of us sort of live by the credo of do something, uh, we can actually affect change. And kudos to this organization, to these two organizations, the nonprofits. Uh, I'm going to find out more information myself because I'm going to send them some money. I think what they're doing with bringing this lawsuit is terrific. Good stuff, great stuff. All right, we got more on the other side. It's indisputable, stick and stay. Meadow tried to argue Donald Trump made me do it. And because he made me do it, I should not be subjected to the black woman in Fulton County who's currently prosecuting me. Judge, can you please, please just send me to that federal bench to be prosecuted by upstanding old white men. Put it up full mass, where the black judge said hell to the gnaw. <laughs> I love it. A federal judge has denied a request Friday from former White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows to move the Georgia election interference case against him from state court to federal court, a shift he had sought on the grounds that he was a federal officer at the time of the actions that led to his indictment. That ruling was brought by US District Judge Steve C. I don't play Jones in the Atlanta-based Northern District of Georgia. Instead, Jones found that the actions, quote, at the heart of the state's charges against Meadows were taken on behalf of the Trump campaign with the ultimate goal of affecting state election activities and procedures. He added, Meadows himself testified that working for the Trump campaign would be outside the scope of the White House chief of staff. Let's put up the picture of his mugshot. Let me tell you why this is so beautiful legally. Because Meadows decided to try his weak ass argument in front of a federal judge, that federal judge now has the ability, as you see demonstrated here, to rule on it and provide legal commentary as to why. So this judge has qualified all of them as working outside of the parameters of the federal government. 
and in fact working on behalf of the Trump campaign. This is a beautiful thing. This is now case law, ladies and gentlemen, that can be used in the prosecution of Donald Trump. And can, it can also be used if anyone else makes the same claim to the federal court. Thank you, Chief Meadows. We appreciate your continued service to the country. All right, obviously the attorney, his attorney is appealing. Had Mark Meadows prevailed, Jones' next step would have been to consider his request to dismiss the case outright under a legal principle similar to the one he used to argue for removal. That he is immune from prosecution because he has he was acting as a federal officer. Now Meadows' case will proceed in the Fulton County Superior Court with no opportunity to make that argument. But here's the argument the prosecution can make. The man already admitted guilt. That was the risk he engaged in. He literally admitted he did it, but he was doing it at the command of his boss within the context of his job. But he admits to doing it. Well, that is not an affirmative defense, period. But it is an affirmative way the Fulton County DA is going to take his ass down. At the heart of the federal removal question is whether Meadows' actions that led to the criminal charges were taken within the scope of his duties as a federal officer. Jones ruled that while some of Meadows' actions that were described in the indictment met that standard, such as managing the president's schedule and attending meetings, others did not. Including the broader charge that he participated in the racketeering conspiracy to overturn the election. As a senior official in the executive branch, Meadows cannot have acted in his role as a federal officer with respect to any efforts to influence, interfere with, disrupt, oversee, or change state elections, Jones wrote. Those activities are expressly delegated to the states. Jones also appeared troubled by portions of Meadows' testimony during which he, quote, was unable to explain the limits of his authority. The Federal Hatch Act, Jones wrote, prohibits an employee from using his official authority or influence to affect the outcome of an election. Um, David, brother, I love it when a plan comes together. He has now set the standard ruling for everybody else in the case. What say you? Yeah, and I agree with you. I love this ruling because I think not enough people know about the Hatch Act. This idea that there has to be a division between your government responsibilities and whatever actions you may be taking on behalf of a campaign. That's why you can't just stand up on the North Lawn of the White House if you're a White House official and start spouting things for a campaign. They may in fact be doing that because of their policies, but there has to be the separation. And I also agree with you, Mark Meadows is in deep trouble. For anybody who thinks, oh, well, this is just the Georgia case, it's not the federal case. There are ways to get around local prosecutions. No, he is in deep trouble in this, as is Sidney Powell, as is Donald Trump, and the 15 or 16 other defendants, because this is on an expedited time frame. This trial is going to go first. And again, we've just seen the major victory, the initial victory for Fannie Willis in this case. And, and I think that's why you have so many legal experts saying, don't underestimate her Georgia prosecution here because RICO cases can be very thorny for defendants. There you go. Well said, dear brother. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the bullpen. So I'm looking at this Atlanta City report from the HR department. 
on why you guys decided, one, to investigate my mom for a video that I made, and two, to go on ahead and fire my mom for a video that I made. Retaliation is against the law, believe it or not. So why you guys are going through all of these procedures, violating all kind of SOPs to find out which one she violated, you broke all kind of laws in the process and continue to do so with a straight face. Yeah, it is against the law. That's what happened, absolutely. We covered this story last week. This story because of you, you has gone viral. Uh, many have reached out to me expressing concern, some of my friends from the APD included. We have Ms. Frost, Rhonda Frost, on the program to talk about what happened to her and also her daughter, Ms. Hall, who made that video. Thank you both for being on the program. I wish it was under better circumstances. How are you? Good, fantastic. How are you? Doing well, doing well. Uh, let me first get into what was the genesis of all of this. Uh, Ms. Rhonda Frost, you are or you were the Assistant Deputy Director of the Public Affairs Division for the Atlanta Police Department. And your daughter, who is not only a law student, but also a very outspoken advocate, activist, broadcaster, uh, she makes a video. Well, she makes videos because it's part of what she does. She's outspoken. She speaks right. up for people. She wants to be an advocate. That's why she's in law school. She makes a video about what that set things off. She made a video about the Shaka Zulu incident that happened last summer uh, and the charges that APD took against him. Okay, uh, and Ms. Hall, let me ask you, give us the nature of your video. Why was that video so controversial according to the police? Well, the police were under the impression that nobody else had access to the video, I'm assuming. And that when they put out their charges of murder, that it wasn't gonna be challenged until it got to court or until the DA decided to indict or not. However, I also have contacts and I didn't understand how somebody could be shot in the back and no one else be charged with anything except for Shaka Zulu which made me start my investigation process. And then when I saw the video, I was mind-boggled. I was like blown. I was like, hold on, how is it humanly possible that someone came to, or five men actually came to his place of business, accosted him, stopped him on his way back into his place of business, and proceeded to jump him, stomp him into the ground. And then when he got to his feet, after being pushed in the back one more time by the person that originally punched him in the head, they said, "Oh, it's he's the only person that charged with anything. I mean, those men not only beat him to the ground, but beat a female to the ground, punched her in the face multiple times. She had to go to the hospital and has had fractures to her face and other things that I was able to pull on a different police report. And in my mind, I thought, how could APD get it this wrong? So that's what started it all. The irony of that video speaks to a dynamic that we covered when it first happened. Shaka Zulu, the longtime manager of Ludacris and others, was clearly harmed. I mean, the man was in the hospital recovering. Pictures were taken from the hospital. We were all rooting for his survival. Mm -hmm. And as we are updating this on my radio show and here, we then hear, wait a minute. He's charged with the crime of self-defense and we did not understand this. And then there's a video that comes out 
This video was not released by the police department. They assume, I guess, Ms. Frost, that you had something to do with that because of the proximity of your relationship with your kin being your daughter. So talk to us about that aspect of it. So so the day that Sinead's video came out, I was sitting at my desk at the Atlanta Police Department in the public affairs office. And there was a barrage of media inquiries that came in at that time. And many of them were saying, can you validate this link to this video you know, regarding Shaka Zulu? And as soon as I clicked on it, it went straight to Sinead's Instagram page. So obviously, <laughs> as the deputy director of public affairs, clicking on such a high profile thing and knowing that that's my daughter, it was a little awkward if I could use that word or, or probably highly uncomfortable. But um, I, I, I just knew that you know, once Sinead got involved, she was gonna do what Sinead does and uh, that's fight for justice. Yeah. And so I was between a rock and a hard place. I, I can't imagine uh, the kind of position you were in, but I said this in my initial coverage of it. Um, I was actually very proud of you for not doing the, hey, don't do this, you're, you're, you're hurting my job or uh, don't, don't choose this career is adverse to the career that I have. Uh, you have allowed your daughter to be who she chooses to be and to engage in advocacy the way she chooses to engage in advocacy. I think that's highly commendable. So in this moment, you see clearly that your daughter has been able to utilize her contact, her expertise, her ability to get things done when others cannot. Yeah. And she got a video and that video provides a very contrary narrative yes. to that which was offered by way of APD to the media. What Absolutely. do you do next? What happens? Well, so I mean, I'm not sure if you saw, but there was a series of mm -hmm. videos. And so it eventually Trayvon got indicted for um, assault, aggravated assault and battery. Um, so that happened from those videos, which again, that was not through APD. That So the videos being out and released, the DA saw it and she went on ahead and did a grand jury indictment. So on top of that, I actually reached out to the mayor I reached out to the chief of police himself. I reached out to the chief of homicide. I reached out to the DA's office. I wrote them all letters and I asked the same question. How is this possible? How can you charge Shaka Zulu with murder and no one else with the crime? What people may not know is the guy that shot Shaka also shot his friend twice before he shot Shaka. So I'm like, wait, isn't that not reckless endangerment? Is that not any other crime? He literally shot him in the arm and on the side. And if you watch the video that I put out, you'll see him take off his shirt and try to make a tourniquet on his arm. And then he eventually took himself to Piedmont Hospital. But again, I'm looking at all of this information. And I'm saying, how is this possible? But what I want people to understand, because I know some comments were like, oh, you need to know your place. Your mom is in the government, you have to respect that. Our place, if we want change, is to stand up and say something. It shouldn't have to be you before you speak out. If you wait till it's you, it's normally too late. And yeah. so my position is if I see something, I'm going to say something. <laughs> and I hope that I'm wrong, but most of the time if I'm saying something, it's because I'm right and I see that there's an injustice being done. And I just ask for everybody to speak out, say something. Those people don't have to be in office. Uh, Sheerbaum, he doesn't have to be there. He was appointed by the mayor. If we don't like it, the mayor can go and he can go. 
But yeah. we can't keep having our people be overcharged and oversensed and just thrown out things. You know what I'm saying? It doesn't make any sense. And we are, we the people have to stand up for change, not the government, not the police. That's not what they do. Right. And it's amazing how many police officers, even at Indisputable, we work with police officers who are whistleblowers. And some of them work in inside of their investigative divisions for internal affairs. And they will say, hey, we can't make this case stick, but you all can. And here's the information. And they will provide us the information. And we will keep our relationships secret. It's called anonymity. You have that when you go to a reporter and you have a source. So they wanted to know, Shanae, how you got this video. They wanted to know who gave it to you. Then they wanted to, I guess, just, did they want to pin it on your mother? Or was was it just retaliation, period? No, no matter what, they just want to retaliate. Well, I think the thing is that first I got it from a source. I know people who know people. Yeah. So I'll just keep it at that because they also asked me not to disclose where they right. I got the video from. But the biggest thing is it was in the in the report, it literally says Rhonda's daughter made APD look bad. It wow. was damaging to our reputation, to our image. It made them look incompetent. And so you can't go after me. So I thought maybe they thought if they go after my mom, I'll stop talking. As you see, that's not how that went. Right, not at all. Uh, yeah. So let me go uh, to you, Ms. Frost. Um, what was the response like from your colleagues at APD when it was discovered that this came from your daughter? Well, the same day that it, it hit the airwaves, uh, the director in my office, she she knows my daughter, so she immediately met with all of the mayor's team and the police chief and all of them. So very quickly they knew it was my daughter and my work environment changed pretty dramatically from that day forward. And then it just got really difficult come November, which is when I filed a complaint and said it's a hostile work environment. And I asked the assistant chief for help, like can we have a meeting because this is really getting bad in here. And the next thing you know, I'm locked out of the building and now have lost my job. So. That's how dramatically things unfolded for me. And yes, in the investigative report, it looks to me very clearly that they tried to pin that on me. They did an investigation on me. I didn't know anything about it. And they couldn't find anything because I didn't do anything wrong. And my daughter has tons of sources. She doesn't need me to get information, nor would I jeopardize my job in the first place. But to find all of that out after I had committed four years to that agency, pumping them up like they're different than any other police agency. Clearly they're not, they are just as corrupt as anyone else. And to find this stuff in writing that they investigated me and then eventually fired me because my daughter brought negative attention on them by telling the truth. That's not a place I wanna work anyway. But you know what, Dr. Richie, let me just chime in one thing. What people don't know or APD, I wish they knew is my mom was amongst the loyal in the sense of she would not do anything to hurt her. That's just not her. Like if we want to go rob a 7-Eleven, I'm not working out, walking out with a free Slurpee. My mom is not doing anything off kilt. That's not even her nature. She's extremely by the board. I couldn't by the book, yeah, straight across the board on everything. And so everything, she didn't even know about the video. She literally found out about the video after I put it on Instagram. And she called me and I and I appreciate my mom because she's always been like that. She said, you know what? I'm proud of you. I know my job is in danger. 
but I'm proud of you because you did the right thing. And that's who I've been since I was 11, whether it's the NCAA that I'm standing up and, and fighting against it, you know, people getting their likeness or in 11, what was I, 11 years old and they called and told my mom I wouldn't stand for the Pledge of Allegiance. And I said, when there's justice for all, I'll stand. And that's just who I've always been. Yeah. You know, that's a very beautiful thing. And obviously um, the atmosphere uh, that you were raised in allowed you to engage in your higher self. Uh, and sometimes we don't realize how important that part is in the development of who we are as people, who we are as human beings. Ms. Frost, I wanna ask you, what was the nature of your job? If you could explain your job in a nutshell, what did you do for the APD? Well, as Deputy Director of Public Affairs, I was second in command in that unit. Uh, we fielded media inquiries. Um, I was responsible for telling the good news stories, right? I'm a writer by nature, so I was, the primary person writing good news stories, telling the heroics of officers and things like that. And I did a pretty good job at, at uh, you know, sharing that information with the public. Um, but primarily it's media responses, uh, telling the APD story, really trying to paint the picture that the Atlanta Police Department is different than other agencies. They're about transparency and truthfulness, uh, et cetera. And, uh, until they weren't. Until they weren't, yeah. until they look like everybody else today. They decided, they decided to basically let you go under the guise of reduction of force is right. what they said. It, so right. they didn't do it like with cause because you did A, B, and C. They called it reduction of force, explain that to us. Well, well, yeah, they did and, and quite frankly, that was shocking to me when uh, the human resources director and a police sergeant showed up at my door while I was already on leave that no one would explain. Um, and I did an open records request asking how many other people were on this reduction in force. And it's been three weeks and they haven't been able to answer that. Um, that's a legal term to say that this is the reason we're getting rid of this position. But the problem is it, it wasn't even two weeks after I left or, or that they put me on that notice that they hired someone else behind me making $10,000 a month. And then they placed three, there's three more positions on the website right now that are in that same level and same pay range. So they reduced my position, but they gained three new positions and they hired somebody behind me. So there's something, the math isn't mathing as they say, that's just right. not coming together. Yeah, all right. I know your daughter who is a soon to be legal counselor can see all of the opportunities here yeah. to commit a filing. <laughs> I assume a lawsuit is coming. We're working on some stuff. Well, you know that there's a, a protocol. So the antelitum yeah. notice is on the way. Just start sure. there and we, yeah. then 60 days after that. But we'll see how they decide to handle it. Again, I'm looking at Andre Dickens right now to see if he steps up or if he allows this to continue to go on. Because if you allow this to go on with people that are known in the community, with somebody at the level of a Shaka Zulu, with my mom. And the thing is, if you walked into APD, you would see the mayor's picture, like um, Chada's picture, my mom's picture and the chief. Like those were the, this is the, the hierarchy. And if you would do that to her because I spoke out, what are you doing to the people that have no money? What are you doing to the people that have no resources? No platform. What, that have no platform, that don't have a Shanae in their corner. What are you doing to those people? And so if this is okay with Mayor Dickens, and if this is okay with Sheerbaum, I'm afraid for everybody in the city of Atlanta and in Fulton County because this is, if this is okay, this is the standard you set, trust and believe there are so many more people in lower positions that are being railroaded and overcharged with stuff they probably didn't even do. This makes people not trust APD or and, police. And let me just say this, I know you're short on time. 
when I was going through just last eight months of being on leave where I didn't understand what was going on before I got my hands on the investigative report. I wrote the mayor's office in his top three or four people. I wrote the HR commissioner who's an employment lawyer. I wrote so many emails and my paper trail is so strong and nobody intervened. Nobody said anything. It's almost like they were all under the same direction that this is going to happen no matter whether it's right or wrong and, and nobody can do anything about it. It was the most disheartening experience that I've ever had in my life. And, and I, I never felt more powerless because they had all the power and nobody was coming to my aid. And I just couldn't believe that that was real. I just couldn't. I didn't know that it was legal you could lock people out of their office without cause. I didn't know that you could put people on extended leave and don't tell them why. I didn't know that was possible until I got to APD. Yeah, well, the police believe they can kill people unarmed, unprovoked. Right, apparently, uh, right. Visit, right? Yeah. So, um, and and the, the anti-litem notice uh, that Ms. Hall is talking about refers to a document you have to send to government entities. Uh, in order to let them know that lawsuit is coming. It is a requirement of the administrative protocol. Um, what happens next, Ms. Frost? You know, um, I'm not really sure. Yesterday was my last day with the city of Atlanta. Um, at 59 years old, that's a very scary thought because I imagined I was gonna retire from APD. I was doing a great job, all my evaluations were great. And I did great work that, I mean, wrote stuff that went viral and it really brought good attention to them. And so for this to happen in the middle of my life when I'm this close to getting towards retirement, I'm not really sure, but I'm not afraid. You know, I have education, I have extensive experience and I know that something great has to come from this. Um, I just feel it in my spirit. And then with this one next to me, I, th- I know it's gonna be all right. be fine, <laughs> know that. <laughs> you know, the universe has a way of rewarding courage. Right. Um, it has always been that way. Uh, and yeah. God is no respecter of person. So it doesn't matter your position or title, right is right, wrong is wrong. Yeah. Uh, and we are thankful for both of you sharing your story. And we will bring an update as soon as it comes, all right? Yeah. Thank you so much, I appreciate you you because there hasn't been a lot of people and I know a lot of people, I was in media for a long time that stood up and took this opportunity to get this story told like you did. So for you to be a black man and for you to hear this story and step out and say, I'm gonna be the one to talk about it. I appreciate you as well. We appreciate you. Well, thank you all, you know, I'm sharp as iron. Thank you very much for everything you do. Thank you so much. Take care. All right, we will bring you an update, okay, remember. Take care of yourself, take care of each other, take care of the planet. Remember the truth is always indisputable.